Hello, and welcome to What is Innovation? The podcast that explores the reality of a word that is in danger of losing its meaning altogether. This podcast is produced by Outlast Consulting, LLC, a boutique consultancy that helps companies use innovation principles to solve their toughest business problems. I'm so excited to have Mike Ross with us today. Mike is the founder and CEO at Juniper, a Canada-based consulting firm, and uh, like me, a former McKinsey consultant. So Mike, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thank you, Jared. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, appreciate you making the time. I like to start out with... uh, with the you know the, the question of the day, which is, uh, in your mind, what is innovation? That's it's a fantastic question, and 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 thanks, Jared. And and you know, I listened to some of the other podcasts and some of the thoughts that the other folks had, and and you know, one of the things is definitely true is it's something that's open to interpretation, right? Different people have different views on it all the time. Um, what I would say is that actually my own thought around it has changed very recently, hmm. and 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 let me walk you through it. So. I kind of like in an effort to become a Twitter superstar, right? I came up with a hashtag at one point, which was innovation is hashtag creativity realized. Mm. And the idea being that there's almost two pieces to it, right? There's creativity, there's something new, there's something exciting happening, but it also has to be realized, has to be manifest in the world. Um, and where my thinking has changed, is just on that second part, and it shifted just a little bit. And what I would say is not as tight a hashtag, but my new hashtag would be innovation is creativity with impact. Creativity with impact. I like that. And and if you want, I can I can pick it apart a little bit. But you know, obviously, two big pieces again, still the same, right? The first is creativity, and I think you know, innovation. Something has to be new, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be new to the world. It can be new to our organization. It could be new to the way we're doing things. We could be taking something that was used over here and applying it over there, whatever. But there just has to be a, a creative aspect to it. There has to be something new happening. Mm-hmm. Um. But what separates innovation, I think, from a bunch of things that are creative but don't actually go anywhere is that to do innovation well, and I mean innovation in a kind of organizational corporate context, right? I don't, you know, uh, there has to be some impact. There has to be some manifestation of it. That that thing, that business model, that process, that product, the whatever it is that you have created has to actually have an effect or else we're not talking about innovation, right? And I like you have a lot of clients or organizations who are trying to be more innovative. And I think often they struggle with this definition, you know, and they get into these kind of ridiculous long meetings about whether continuous improvement constitutes innovation or things like that. And right. to me, like, it's, it's almost like that's a bit of a, I don't know, it's a bit of a distraction, right? The, the question that you should be asking as an organization is, are we doing new stuff? And is that new stuff having an impact? Right. But let me pause, get your reactions, then I can keep picking it apart. No, I, I I just I'm busy nodding my head over here. It's uh that's exactly the sort of uh, mindset, and that's why you know we're talking today because I, I believe you and I have a similar uh, perspective on things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that creativity with impact is is, is beautiful uh, in its elegance and simplicity, and so it's so simple that it's hard for uh, I think clients uh, of ours to uh, digest as being good enough. Yeah. And, and again, we could spend hours, you know, picking apart the, you know, the kind of examples and stuff like that. But I think what's important about this, and, and again, I, in, in, you know, in the terms of the work that I do, and maybe this is a good kind of grounding in terms of sort of who I am and where I'm coming at this from, but, mm-hmm. you know, I, 
I spent a lot of my time actually on the culture of innovation. So a lot of my work has kind of gone past the coming up with new ideas and helping organizations to be innovators and coming up with ideas for them and more around creating cultures of innovation. Mm -hmm. And perhaps that's why I'm so happy with a nice, simple phrase, right? Because I think that part of, part of this with impact that push is to get away from the endless debates of what is and isn't innovation, to get away from the, you know, uh, what's the navel gazing that comes along with that and just actually do stuff. Right. And, and I want to be careful too, in the sense that, you know, impact in itself is an ambiguous term, right? You can have positive impact and negative impact. Right. right? Now, is, does it have to be positive impact? Well, I mean, if you want to do lots of it and you want your organization to survive, you better hope you're hitting more home runs than you're hitting strikes. But the reality is, is that you learn a ton from making mistakes, right? And I know that's trite and I'm sure that all your, your listeners know all that stuff really well. Sure. But, but I think that it's important that it's caught in that, in that innovation in and of itself requires that willingness to make mistakes, requires that willingness to try stuff and say, you know what, even if we just learn something, what we're not supposed to do, that's still impact and that's still positive. Right. And so for me, it, it, I don't know, I'm ready to fight you on this, Jared. So if you want, you can, you know, like <laughs> you get at me with, you know, what other people would say or stuff like this. But to me, there's a great utility in having a simple crisp definition like that. Yes. That again, you know, your clients would say, well, am I being innovative when I do this, when I'm doing continuous improvement, right? And I would say, are you doing something new? Arguably yes, arguably no, right? And maybe it's new to you. You're putting in a new process that you've never tried before, but right. maybe you know, everybody else in the world has been doing it for the last 50 years. That's still innovative for your organization. right? And is it having an impact? Well, hopefully yes. And either an impact in the sense of things are getting better or an impact in the sense of we're learning what not to do in the future. That's innovation to me. I, I'm with you. And I think, I think a lot of times the definition of innovation and the defining of it becomes, uh, like you said, a, sort of a navel-gazing exercise and obscures the opportunity to think in a more innovative way in other parts of the business. Absolutely. So you're trying to label this new product or this new service as innovative or is it not innovative or is it transformative or is it disruptive or is it incremental, blah, blah, blah. And you know your accounts receivable process hasn't changed in 25 years yeah. or your your finance department is still thinking about things in old ways uh that that actually inhibits your your uh, impact that connection you're making between creativity and impact because you can you can have a three-day workshop and you know you and i have facilitated those three-day workshops lots of post-it notes lots of whiteboard <laughs> activities lots of fun lunches and creative activities uh, and, and, you know, everything that was discussed there uh, uh, gets negated by the broader culture, yeah, uh, broader way of doing things. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think I'm going to give you another one of my hashtag sayings. And by the way, I have like four Twitter followers. So this has actually never reaped me any benefit whatsoever. So <laughs> do as I say, not as I do or something like that. But another one of my hashtag phrases is how you do anything is how you do everything. Mm, that's a good one. I'll illustrate that with an example. So I had a client and they said, we want to be more innovative. And I said, okay, good. You know, I can help. Right. And they said, okay, well, the first thing we're going to do is build a lab. We've got to have a lab. And I said, what? And they said, yeah, we've got the space and it's over here. And it's like this, you know, kind of big boardroomy thing that they've repurposed to be their lab. And they said, we've got this architect and they showed me the plans and they'd actually started choosing the furniture for the lab. Wow. 
And I said, I said, how do you know you need a lab? And they're like, well, because it's innovation, right? We gotta have a lab, right? And we right. can't be innovative without this lab thing. And it, it's funny to say, right? It, right. Saying it out loud, but it feels natural in the moment. Yeah. No, exactly. I'm not sure if I told them this anecdote like six months before they decided to do it, they'd be like, those people are crazy, right? But they right. get into this, right? And so and they said, well, yeah, I mean, innovation. I mean, how are people in this stuff? I said, look, I what, you've got this boardroom that you decided to repurpose. Leave all the furniture in there, right? Get your printer, print out a sign that says Innovation Lab, right? And then just stick it on the door and see what happens, Yeah. right? Tell everybody, hey, that boardroom on the sixth floor is now the Innovation Lab, right? Hey, whatever. Do people come in? Are they, you know, and they like put, you know, those big post-it sheets, right, that we all use, the big white ones? I said, cover the walls with those so people can write on the walls. You don't have to repaint the walls with whiteboard paint. Like, just cover the walls with the post-it sheets. Do people, are people using it? What's happening? Right. And then talk to the people. But the point is, is not that I know the answer to how to create an innovation lab. Not at all. The point is, is that the iterative process of innovation should be used to answer the process of how do we innovate. Exactly. I don't know if I got too meta there, but. No, no, no. I'm with you. I think that that innovation is is about um, in, in people's minds becomes about the process of creating new things, uh, and and I think it's it's a broad it can be broader than that. It can be about how you go about doing the elements of what you consider innovation. Uh, and and it's funny because there's a lot of there's a big lack of creativity and a lack of impact in how people innovate. Of course, uh, you know. It, there's a book, there's a template and it's, there's a model and, you know, you do it this way yeah. and you get a lab and you take the people, you take the innovative people and you separate them from everybody else. <laughs> exactly. And then you go and you give them a new process. You give them all the fancy things that, that they want and need. And, and, uh, hopefully some consultants, hopefully we wouldn't yeah. consultants there, <laughs> <laughs> but no, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I talked to another anecdote. I talked to a guy who's the head of one of the bigger law firms here in Canada. Um, and I talked to him about innovation and I said, uh, you know, what are you guys doing about innovation? And he said, oh, we got that covered. I said, oh yeah, right. Well, what are you doing? He said, we got a committee. Mm. And because I'm the type of guy who says stuff like this to people, I said, you've got to realize how that sounds, right? Right. You've got a committee to study innovation. Right. And he said, yeah, no, no, I get it. I get it. Fine. You know, but he said, but we've got our three of our best, most senior people working on this question. Most successful people in this firm. And I said, so what you're telling me is you're taking three people who, whose identity and whose success and whose kind of personal security and all that stuff has come from the way the system is currently being run in charge of changing that system. Right. It makes no sense. It's crazy, right? It's crazy. <laughs> I, but I think you're exactly right. The, the, the tendency is to take uh, top performers or... Um, People who are not actively engaged in the day-to-day of, of, of delivering the business uh, and make them the innovation team. Yeah. Uh, and and the moment you do that, you send it back to your comment about culture. You send a clear message to the rest of the organization that you know innovation is a department. It's not a mindset. It's not a way of working. Not your problem anymore. It's yeah. You don't don't think about innovation anymore. Do what you do. Launch that detergent the same way you've been launching that detergent. The innovation people they'll take care of the next thing. Exactly. Uh, and and that that's the day that uh, 
that innovation dies a little in your organization, I think. Totally. I think it's actually, I think you're right in the sense that it's like almost like you'll have less innovation as a consequence than you did before you did any of those changes. That's right. Although I would say, I would say that, which is not to say there aren't some times when having like a little separate innovation kind of skunk works hub or something isn't a good idea. I think that the, the right answer is that there's no right answer. There's right. no universal right answer, right? And the right, right answer is for you as an organization to try stuff and see and say after six months, okay, well, we've had this little skunk works thing and they've been out there, you know, hopefully in Palo Alto where it's nice and sunny um, for the last six months doing their own thing and spending a ridiculous budget and nothing's come of it. Okay, well, let's try something else. Right. Rather than let right. that sit there for five years, right? And I'm sure we both have clients who, you know, you're like, well, how long have these guys been doing this for? <laughs> it's like five years. <laughs> and you go to see the place. And I've been to some of these skunkworksy places where it's in these nice exposed brick lofty, kind of maybe in some sort of, I don't know, rehabilitated downtown core area of whatever city yeah. you're in, you know, and it's like, whoa, and they've got a foosball table and they get lunch brought in. Yeah. And God forbid you bring anybody from the mothership, the parent organization to that, because those people, lose, they get lunch. Like, what the heck? Yeah. But no, 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 we got to give lunch because they're, they're creatives. <laughs> That was my first thought. <laughs> he goes there and you're like, what the heck? Right? Like, why why have you why have you done done something that is not being useful and have not iterated on it? That's the question I always have. Why haven't you do you did you not read the book that you were supposed to read about innovation, which says, to me at least, it of a process, if you want to talk about this, requires two big things. One is information, data, analysis, uh, it requires ethnographic interviews if you want to do that. It requires some some form of an understanding of the problem. It requires some moment of creativity, sure. But perhaps most importantly is experimentation. Right. Yeah. And if you're not going to experiment about how you experiment, then you're just telling everybody that I don't actually believe in experimentation. Exactly. That's the danger of the, the quote-unquote innovation playbook that, uh, that people have kind of um, dogmatically adopted that says taken loft, put some people in it, give them an unlimited budget, feed them lunch, and wait three years. Yeah. Um, and uh, and, I, and I, think, I think the experimentation aspect of it gets woven into that um, with all good intentions in terms of uh, the aspect that they're working on. But, yeah. but what it doesn't get woven into is the outcomes. And I, I, one of my big principles uh, you know, I love your three and, uh, you know, I would add a coda to that about outcomes mm -hmm. because many times we dive into innovation processes with this fascination with the process and with possibilities, but uh, we don't actually sit down and say, well, what should we have three years? What's ago? the impact? Yeah. What's the impact? Yeah. What, what's, what's the impact, right? Like what's the, what is, it's funny actually when I worked at McKinsey, uh, I used to always think that what I would do is I would pop it one of, you know, these bunch of keys on your keyboard you never use, right? I don't know. Some of these ones on the bottom, I don't even know what they do. But I would pop them out and I would get a new key made that said impact, right? And you could just press it all day. <laughs> but, I mean, it's a silly consultant joke, but the point is, is that if you're not having impact, then you're just, there's no point, right? Like, right. so if, you know, three years, it, you should be able to say to me within three days, what useful thing have these people come up with? In three hours, let's put that as the bar, right? In three hours, you with your loft and your free lunch and stuff, you have to come up with something that's useful. Right, right. And that could be a, a shortened accounts receivable form. It could be, I mean, it could be anything, right? But it just, right. like, we, we don't 
role model, we don't live that innovative thing. And, and I would say, and I did say, you know, I think there's a lot of different ways of doing this. I would say generally my, my kind of 80, 20 rule on this is that innovation, separate innovation hubs are dangerous things because mm. it's too easy to get lost in that stuff. Yeah. And it's too easy, as you said, for everybody else in the organization to say, throw up their hands and say, this isn't my job anymore. You know, Jane and her team, they're the innovation crew and I, I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I would agree with that synopsis. Uh, and the, uh, one thing I'm curious about based on, based on your point of view so far is, uh, you know, we talked about creativity um, and its connection to innovation. Uh, how do your clients and how do you think about creativity in the context outside of product and service, like delivery? Mm-hmm. So, um, do you have many conversations about that? Yeah, all the time. I mean, creativity, I like it just because it's a fancy word and, and people get excited. And to me, innovation is a bit of a Trojan horse, right? Because my mission is to change the way organizations work, yeah. right? And I want organizations to be much better places for people to live and work, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I say that on purpose, live and work, because, you know, work-life balance, whatever. Most of us, you know, there's a lot more living at work than there is anywhere else, right? And I want there to be better organizations. And I think one of the crucial missing ingredients to organizations being good places to be as employees is a lack of creativity, a lack of freedom to be creative. So I, I kind of, to me, that's, I use innovation as my Trojan horse. I come in because nobody's going to pay me to come in and see an organization and make people happy. Right. I mean, some people get paid to that, but I don't, I don't have the, the right beads for it or, or whatever. I don't have the hair for it or whatever. Right. So, so I say, look, I'm going to help make your organization more innovative, but really what I'm more interested in is that, that change of culture. Right. And so I use creativity in that sense, because I think that there's a, there's a, there's a sense of possibility that comes with creativity. Right. And, and for your listeners who have kids, you will know this, right. I think there's a Picasso quote that is, we are all born artists only a few of us survive, right? There's a sense of creativity, there's a sense of freedom that comes with that. And so what I really mean is just new stuff. Yeah, yeah. Just new stuff. And so, yeah, products and services can be new. Business models can be completely new. Um, markets right. can be new. The delivery mode can be new. The And it's interesting, actually, because I used to do a lot of work for some reason, especially when I was at McKinsey, I had a lot of clients that were extremely innovative companies, like brand name, fancy pants, like, whoa, my goodness, they're fancy, innovative, you know, make a list of all the innovative companies uh, in the world. And, and some of them I, I got the pleasure to work with. And I'd always get the chance to work with their like sort of back end processes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And my big thing was HR. Like I was like right. innovation in HR. That was the thing that I got really excited about because you'd have this like amazingly and actually this, I mean, I could talk about this one because we did this one actually after I left McKinsey and mm-hmm. we did a bunch of work with Cirque du Soleil, which, oh. you know, unfortunately had, they had pretty big issues with COVID and so they're not doing so well now, but we did a bunch of work with them. Yeah. And it was like, you know, one of the most creative, interesting, amazing organizations, Right. but we were hard to come in and help with their HR group, right? And the guys who do the accounting and the finance and the, the, the lawyers, right? And stuff like right. this and help them think about how to be more innovative. And that's always a really interesting thing because- in a way, it goes back to that point you made in the sense that in some of those organizations, there's so much creativity, new stuff happening on the other side that those people feel they have absolutely no right to do that. Right, right. Yeah. I wonder if there's a, a, a connection between, an implicit connection between uh, 
stability and innovation. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. there has to be some sort of counterbalance. We're going to take enough crazy risk over here. So like this stuff better be like bread and butter, meat and potatoes, no wackiness. Right. Yeah. 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 But, but anyway, so to, to me, that creativity extends everywhere, everywhere, mm-hmm. everywhere. Like the, the, the man or woman who's sweeping the floors at night, right, should have um, the, the right, the obligation to say, hey, I don't think this is done right. And if I did this differently, then it would work differently. And that would be better. Right. And I want to try it. And then they should be given the opportunity to try it. Mm-hmm. I went down to, to South America and we went to see this big, this again at McKinsey, a big CPG, a consumer packaged goods company, huge company. Mm-hmm. And they said, okay, we want you guys to give us some new ideas, some innovative ideas. I said, how many employees do you have? And I said, we have 30,000 employees. I said, you don't need any ideas. <laughs> That's of course, so you know, because like the partner on the deal is looking at me like, right. what the fuck? shut yeah. up, man. Right? Like, yeah. And I was like, you don't need any ideas. What you need is a way for that guy who's driving a truck and doing deliveries when he comes up with an interesting idea to somehow get it to you. Right. And there's two things that are required for that. One is he had, well, actually three, probably one is he has to want to, mm-hmm. right? He has to have a yep. channel to do it and he has to see that there's an impact. Yep. Which maybe it's yep. part of the first one, but, but I like to talk in threes, but you know, without like, you don't need to hire a bunch of consultants to come with this. Like those ideas exist. You just need to give people the liberty to be creative. Yes, exactly. Give them the uh, hope mm-hmm. that their creativity would, will, will lead to a different, a different life for them uh, in the future. Will have an impact. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's creativity with impact. And, 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 when that hope isn't there, uh, then then you never you don't you, nothing bubbles up um, because why bother? And then you think no one has any ideas. Yeah, there was a, there was a client out there that, that had this thing where it was like, if you came up with an idea, and it was a manufacturing company, right, big manufacturer uh, here in Canada, and they had this thing that said like, if you come up with an idea that saves the company money, I can't remember what the percentage is, but we'll like we'll give you ten percent of the money we save. Yeah. They turned that shit off like super quick because <laughs> they were giving out so much money. And I said to the client, I said, why'd you turn it off? And he said, do you have any idea how much money we were giving people? You know what I mean? Like, but it was just that kind of concept of like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. Like we can't be giving. All-. I said, okay, change the math, right? right? Like make it 5%, you know, whatever. It's too great. Like, but you're right. It's hope, actually. Hope. And and if I can, so I'm going to get on my hobby horse here. The, the biggest impediment to innovation in organizations. I don't know if this is a question you want to ask, but I'm going to answer it anyway. Here. Yeah. The biggest impediment to innovation in organizations is fear. Mm, yeah. We live in our organizations in fear all the time. People live lives of constant fear. They're afraid of being fired. They're afraid of looking foolish. They're afraid of somebody laughing at them. They're afraid of their idea of being poo-pooed. They're afraid all the time. Wow, that, that's so true. And and of all the types of ways of working, innovation is most susceptible to that. Absolutely. Yeah, that's 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 great. How have you been able to overcome that kind of fear? I mean, I know you're an innovative guy, and you do it for other people. I know you're you're the way you run your business is very innovative. How do you push through that fear? I'm not sure that I have. I'm not mm-hmm. sure they have, you know, you ask my wife and she would say, man, that guy's, he's always talking about fear, right? <laughs> fear of things not going well and yeah. fear of clients not like what we're selling and stuff like that. I don't know. 
And I guess if I was being bravado-esque, I would say maybe it's a question of different fears, right? Like the fear of not living the life that I want to lead maybe trumps the fear of saying something stupid, mm. right? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. And, and, you know, you talked about workshops, right? I always say to people when we're doing workshops, my role in a workshop as the kind of workshop facilitator is to be the stupidest person in the room. Yeah. My role is to have the dumbest ideas because what I want to do is I want to create a space in which somebody's going to say, well, that guy can say that. <laughs> I could say this, right? Yeah. Yep. Now I'm like, yep. you know what we should do is when you open the box, it actually explodes and blows your hands off. And they're like, that's really stupid. I'm like, yeah, would that be great? And then somebody else can actually say, well, actually what it should do is this. And I'm like, but but I don't know. It's a good question. How have I overcome that fear? I, I, I don't know that I have. Like, I live in fear. I, I have a lot of, like, I worry about stuff and money and all that sort of stuff, just like everybody else does. I think that, that maybe it's just that there's a pressure in me that says, you know, the worst scenario would be one where you don't get to do things that are different. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the, you know, you got to almost got to, you almost got to set up for somebody like me, you almost got to set up a bigger fear that trumps the little fear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and the other key I'm hearing in what you're saying is you haven't eliminated fear and it doesn't sound like you're trying. Oh. It's not, it's less about conquering or, or dismissing fear and more about finding ways to move through it. Yeah. I was actually just on the phone just a second ago with a guy where we were talking about risk. Right. And this guy is a senior leader here in, in Canada is on the board of lots of organizations, really like a well-known sort of, I guess, not a management thinker, but like a manager, like somebody who's done a lot of stuff. Right. And he said, he, I think that what he said was, I think that most people think about risk in the wrong way. Mm. They think about risk as something to be avoided. Um, and he said, and I don't, and then there's another group of people think about risk as something to be embraced. Right. And he said, I don't think it's either of those things. Risk just is. Mm. It's just a thing, right? And it's part of the calculus. Yep. And as you're thinking through what you're doing, you've got to figure it out and how do I mitigate it and all that kind of stuff. Yep. But it's not... There is no, there's no thing that is risk. And, and, and I think, again, it's, it's this notion of how do you overcome fear? Well, fear just is a thing that is, it's always going to be there. And you don't try to overcome it. You just work with it. Yeah. Well said. What's another hashtag out there? Follow me on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. <laughs> we gotta make sure, we gotta we gotta make sure that uh that these hashtags are, uh, are captured somewhere man <laughs> yeah yeah um <laughs> mike it, it, it's been a pleasure it's so much fun as always uh chatting with you we have to do these things more often one last question um if you you know had some advice uh some free advice from a, an innovation expert uh, to offer offer listeners, uh, future in, current and future innovators of the world, what 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 would that be? Do you want like how to innovate advice, or do you want kind of like life advice? I, I, I want the advice you 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 want to offer. Okay, I'll tell you one last anecdote. Right, and the problem with this one is it doesn't lend itself that well to a podcast, but still, it's important. Right. So right. when I was at McKinsey, um, kind of near the end of my time there. Um, I sat down with a guy who was like the head of the office and, and smart, 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 smart guy. And he, and he said, you know, Mike, I worry about your career. And I said, what do you mean? And he drew this kind of like classic kind of two axes, right? Like a X, Y axis. Right. And he, and he put sort of up near the top, right. He said, this is the desk. This is the goal. Right. Right. 
And he said, you know, when you started here, you were on this, and he started drawing a straight line from the, the bottom corner towards that point. And then he said, for the last like year and a half, you've been going, and he just started going wiggly, right? And the line's going up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down, right? And he said, you're moving towards a goal, but nowhere near the way you were before. Mm-hmm. And he said, if you want to get that success, like, you're going to have to change the way you're doing it. And I took his pen and I circled the up and down lines. And I said, that's how I define success. Mm, yeah, yeah. The key to happiness is stop letting other people define success for you. Figure it out for yourself. What is success? Once you figure that out, it becomes so much easier to get it. it becomes so much easier. But be very careful, right? Because it, that takes work. It's not a kind of like you wake up and you're like, aha, I know what it is. Like it takes work to pick that apart and to see it and to understand it and to accept it. Right. That's the other important community. This, because for a lot of us, like forgiving ourselves for not wanting what everybody else wants is a hard thing to do. Mm. Wow. So there you go. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take that's, that. That's everything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take that one and chew on it myself. I, I love that. Forgiving yourself. Uh, for not wanting what everybody else wants. It's, it's a, that's, uh, that's just a, a profound statement and, and, and uh, useful statement, which I think is, is, is rare with advice uh, these days. So uh, thank you for that. And thank you for your time. It's been, uh, of course, it's been a genuine pleasure as always. And uh, uh, looking forward to the next time. Well, anytime, Jared, a real pleasure. Thank you. All right. Take care. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this week's show. You can drop us a line on Twitter at Outlast LLC. That's O-U-T-L-A-S-T-L-L-C. Or follow us on LinkedIn where we're Outlast Consulting. Until next time, keep innovating, whatever that means.